Take your Bibles to John chapter 20. We're continuing our series and talking about these encounters that Jesus had with people, how he interacted with individuals. Uh, the first one that we went to, we started off with salvation from darkness to light with Nicodemus. He was a man wrapped up in religion, wrapped up in what he did, and just the, the, the way that he went through life of trying to do good deeds. And then Jesus came to him and said, you must be born again. Talking about that need of salvation. We talked about um, Mary and Martha brokenhearted that they got to the point where their brother Lazarus, that there was no hope There was no way, four days in the grave, it's over, it's done. And how often in our lives that we get to circumstances in our life that we think it is done. There's no way out, there's no fixing this, I can't figure this out for the life of me. And yet Jesus shows up and he says, you don't understand, when I show up in a situation, Jesus said, by the way, I am the resurrection and the life. He makes dead things live. And we're not talking about just physical death here in this. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about problems. We're talking about marriages. The fact that God steps in to do what man cannot do. Last week we focused on thankfulness. And how we can go through life of just being consumed with what we have and our blessings. But we forget where they came from. And to run back to God and be changed into that thanksgiving lifestyle that God's called us to. In John chapter 20, we have another encounter with Jesus it's kind of about regrets, kind of about your past. And you're going to read it and you'll be like, no, it's not. I love to study passages like this and then ask the question, why? Wait a minute, why did it say that? Why is that mentioned here? Why are they mentioned here? And then break that down to examine it like that. Does anybody here have regrets? Raise your hand. You, you have a regret. If you're watching online, put it in the comment. Okay. I, I, I don't know of anybody that has. And some people, it's a lifestyle or something that they did in their past and say, man, I wish I would have never done that. Uh, for me, when I was the youth pastor... Uh, we did a kayaking trip. We, we did this kayaking thing, and we were somehow on tubes, and we went down the stream, and it was so much fun. And we did it with the teens, and we were all goofing off. And at the end of it, we were taking our kayaks and the tubes out. And I look over, and there's a group of teenagers that are jumping off this little ledge into the water. And I know the responsible youth pastor that I was should have said, you guys, that looks dangerous. Get down. But instead, I tried to outdo them. So it, was, it, was not, it wasn't the most... Um, yeah, it wasn't the best moment for me as a youth pastor. So I climbed up above where they were at and I ran over where they were and jumped off the, the edge over them and like turned around in the air and was like, in your face. And like, and I hit the water and I go down underneath and I realized that the water was not as deep as I thought it was. And I hit my bottom really hard on there and I, I like stunned me for a minute and I came out and I screamed really loud and I said, everybody get out I said, we're not jumping here anymore. I said, this is dangerous. And I realized, me, at that point, realized that could have paralyzed me for the rest of my life. All I had to do was land in the wrong spot or there'd be a stone or a rock where it'd be. And, and, I, and I, it just it stunned me. And I, I, I didn't realize that in the moment when they were doing that before, and I'm thinking, man, if I think about that story to this day, I, I, I literally get nauseous. I'm thinking that could have been a moment that would have changed my life forever. Now, I know that's a silly illustration of a regret, but I'm telling you, a lot of people live their lives with regret. And I just don't mean saying, I wish I wouldn't have done that, but I'm talking about things that you've done in your past that go with you. I'm saying through life, it's like, I'm forgiven. And you look back and say, oh man, constantly broken down up about this, constantly 
weighted down with this. It's like a black cloud that goes over your head constantly. I wish that was not in my life. This story is about a woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was somebody that truly loved Jesus with all of her heart. She was a devoted follower of Jesus. She wasn't part of the 12 disciples, but she was part of the inner circle that he traveled with. And that he, she took care of him and they were tight and close. She was very close to Jesus. She had this deep love. We see her at the cross. Now you're in John 20. I want to give you some background. I want to, I want to kind of fill in to, to help you understand where we're going with this. If you're new to church, man, I'm so glad that you're here. The Gospels have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you read it and say, man, deja vu, I keep reading the same thing over and over again. It is the same story told from four different perspectives so that we have a better understanding of the life of Christ. The one we're reading is John. I want to take you just for a moment, Matthew 27, 61. The Bible gives us this glimpse of Mary Magdalene at the tomb with Jesus. And the Bible says, and there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now you can imagine, here they are. They take the body of Jesus, they are weeping, they're broken. Man, their whole world just came apart, just like that. They bring Jesus into that tomb, and these ladies could not get themselves to leave. The Bible describes them, their love for them. Mary Magdalene didn't care the threats. They didn't care, just like Peter and them, that they were fearful for their lives. They didn't care. They were there in that moment. She was among the last to leave. John chapter 20, verse 1, it brings us to the first day of the week. So here's resurrection morning. This is Easter, if we would. And the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, and it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and see if the stone was taken away from the sepulcher. They didn't know, understand. I mean, we look back now and say, he's alive, he's alive, Jesus came out too. But in that moment right there, they were thinking that someone came and stole the body. Now, they shouldn't have thought that. You know why? Because Jesus said, I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm not going to stay in the grave. He taught that. But they didn't fully understand it. All they knew is the body of Jesus was missing. She runs back and tells Peter and John. Peter and John get up. They run to the tomb. So now you got Peter, James, or Peter, John, and uh, Mary at the tomb. They turn around. They leave. They run back. And it says that they go back to their, their home. But it says in verse 10, then the disciples went again into their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Now, I want you to know that the weeping in the Bible is not just sniffling. She was literally tore up. She's wailing. She's beside herself. She can't contain herself. The Bible says in verse 15, Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? She turns and, of course, there's more dialogue that happens. And she realizes that she's standing in the presence of Jesus. She's standing... And what we celebrate to now, she's celebrating the resurrected Jesus Christ, one of the greatest events that's ever happened. No, the greatest event. I know we say, talk about the cross, and the cross was where Jesus died and he paid for our sins, but the tomb is where he proved that he did it. You think about how would we celebrate Jesus died for our sins, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and we'd be like, he didn't come out of the grave. We would have defeat, but when Jesus came out of the grave, he proved, I did conquer death, hell, and the grave. It was the evidence, it was the proof. It was a matter of standing there saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I conquered it. I did it. Now, the Bible says in Mark 16, 9, when it's describing this story. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first unto Mary Magdalene. Why? I I know a lot of you 
Go to church. I know a lot of our online audience, you're used to this. I'm going to ask you this hard question right now. Why? Out of all the people, Mary Magdalene. I'm, 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 I want you guys right now to process this in your hearts and minds right now. He could have, John and Peter were there. John, John was the one that loved Jesus or Jesus loved him and it's described that. Peter was the one that one day would preach on the day of Pentecost. No offense, Mary Magdalene would be in the group, she'd be the least of them. I, I, I mean that. She, she was not of great significance in their eyes. She was no, no great value in their eyes in society or anything like that. I'm just saying, not in our eyes, but I'm saying in their culture there, they would have been like, who's Mary Magdalene? Why did Jesus choose her to be the first ones? You say, well, that, that's because they all, that's who was there when he came out. Now remember, Jesus already was out of the tomb and Peter and John were already there. He deliberately waited for them to leave. Before he showed himself. Literally the greatest event in human history. And he saved it for the first unveiling of it for Mary Magdalene. I didn't read the whole verse. Let me read the rest of the verse. Now when Jesus was risen in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Out of whom he had cast seven devils. Now, if it was just a description of her, Mary Magdalene was already the description of where she was from. Like if they said Tony from Alabama, that that would be a description. It's not just Tony, you know, the guy from Alabama. Mary, the one from Magdala. It was a description of her hometown. But then the Bible takes it a step further and literally says in that passage, of whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't want to be described by my past. You know know what I'm saying? It's like, so-and-so that used to be an alcoholic. It's like, oh, Jesus, do you have to throw that in there? God, you know, just tell him I was just so-and-so. Or or to sit there and say, so-and-so that that served time, or so-and-so that used to be a drug dealer, or so-and-so that that destroyed family, so-and-so. It's like in this very description of one of the greatest events in history. Don't tie my past into that. Why bring that up now? It was because of what we're learning from this encounter. What do we learn from this encounter with Jesus? Number one, you are fully known by God. You are fully known by God. Now this point will seem kind of simple and basic until we get into the other ones. It does not just say he first appeared to Mary Magdalene. He says, I I know who she is. I know her background. I know this. Mary Magdalene. It says, out of whom had cast out seven devils. Can you imagine this discussion? You know know what I'm saying? I mean, afterwards, it's like, Jesus is alive. Who saw him? Well, so-and-so-and-so. Who was the first one to see him? Mary Magdalene. What? Mary Magdalene. You're telling me Mary Magdalene. Out of all of us, out of everybody, out of everybody that follows him and serves him and, and does all these things. You're telling me, Mary Magdalene, you mean the, you mean the girl that they cast out seven devils? You, you, you mean that girl? We would say it differently. If we were talking about a certain situation, you'd be, you, you mean that guy that did such and such? Yeah, that one. You're kidding me. Does Jesus not understand who she was? Jesus tells a story. He says, oh, by the way, I know exactly who she was. 
I know her past. I know she, where she came from. Actually, let me take you back to it. I, I love giving you the back because these stories come alive when you understand the background of these stories. The background of this is in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass afterwards, that is, he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And a certain woman, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went out seven devils. You talk about having a past. Some of you are like, I have a past. I, I'm, I, I have guilt over some things that I've done in my past. I've, I've, I've got some things that I'm not proud of. And Jesus goes as far as says, well, let me tell you about her. She had seven demons, seven devils living inside of her, demonic spirits. I mean, I'll ask you guys, what is it like living with seven demons? What is it? What, what is your life like? I mean, we're not just saying, I dealt with oppression. I dealt with issues. I dealt with this, whatever. She's literally saying, I was demon-possessed. By the way, did you notice that the Bible gives description that it was seven? The number seven in the Bible is a description of completeness, fullness. Seven days of creation. He rested at the seven. He said, it's finished. It's done. He did it all. It's a number of completion. You can imagine Mary Magdalene in that description would have been like, I don't know if it's a matter of every aspect of my life is consumed. I'm fully consumed. My life is destroyed by this. It's bad. We can't fully describe her past. And I know sometimes people try to do that. We just can't. This is not Mary from what we understand, the one that washed the feet of Jesus. Because sometimes people point out Mary Magdalene as being a prostitute. The Bible doesn't say that she was a prostitute. The woman that went at the feet of Jesus and washed it, anointed it, it's, it, her name was Mary, but it doesn't say Mary Magdalene. There's no proof there. So a lot of people say, oh, that's why this is so significant. The Bible leaves it vague, just saying specifically, she had a past that was full of demon evil spirits. It may be just like the thorn in the flesh that we have with, with Paul, it's left vague so that we can kind of fill it out as we, you know, make applications. Like, what is the thorn in your flesh? It doesn't certainly sell it, uh, spell it out in certain ways when it does that. It just puts it in such a generic way that we don't know what it is. That's the way that it applies to every single one of us. It doesn't matter what it was. Before I met Jesus, I had issues. I had problems. I had things that pulled me down. The maniac of Gadara, we often talk about his story. The Bible talks about how he was destroyed in his life and certain things happened in his life and <clears throat> completely messed up. I'm going to tell you guys right now, this room is filled with people that have a past. It's not one of those things that we like to go around bragging about. But, it, but you have to understand, when it says here in this passage, and appeared unto Mary Magdalene, out of whom cast out devils, maybe you could put your name in there with your past. Make application of that. The one that served time, the one that had an affair, the one that had an abortion, the one that, that walked out on their spouse, the, the one that cheated, the one that lied, the one that got kicked out of school, the one that the parents had a broken relationship, the one that disappointed, whatever it is, you say, that is me. And the thing is, we throw out all the time, you are forgiven. That's what church people say, right? You are forgiven. Don't worry about it. You are forgiven. But here's the truth of the matters. Even knowing that I'm forgiven as I go through life, I still have that hanging over my head because I know I did it. That's just the truth. We struggle with ourselves. And by the way, it's not only we struggle with ourselves. We struggle with people that remember our past. 
Because we are the one that sits there and says, oh, do you remember what they did? You shouldn't be doing that. You know what you did. They throw it up to your face and, and those kind of things that just happens in our life. Let me ask you again. Why was Mary the first one to see Jesus after the resurrection? Why? I believe that Mary Magdalene was a perfect illustration of the reason for the resurrection. Let me explain. Number two, you are completely forgiven by God. Not somewhat forgiven. You are completely forgiven by God. I, I, have you ever tried to explain something to people before and they don't fully understand it? You know, like with the church people, it's like, you're forgiven. Amen. God has set you free. Amen. Your, your past is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then we walk out and say, I don't know why I ever did that. I can't get over it. I hate myself for what I did. It's like, well, wait a minute. Did you not just remember what you said amen about in church? Like, I'm forgiven. It's under the blood. It's in the past. Why do we struggle so much? So I don't, I don't think we fully communicate and fully understand when Jesus is telling us these things. It doesn't always get in our hearts and minds. Uh, we, we had people over our house this past weekend, or, or last weekend, and uh, we, we ordered pizza. But I had it all worked out. I, I had it completely worked out. So at 5 o'clock, I got on the website uh, for the pizza place. And I, they said, what time do you want the delivery? I was like, oh, 5 o'clock. That's when everybody's getting here. I'd be able to walk through the door with hot pizzas and set it down. Everything was just going to work out perfectly. 5 o'clock, no pizza. 5.10, no pizza. 5.30, no pizza. But the emails say that it like came out of the oven at like 4.45 and pizza's on its way. And I'm thinking, okay, if that came out of the oven at 4.45 and it's 5.30, I'm eating cold pizza. That's just, that's just how it works. 4 or 5.45, no pizza. And I'm sitting there thinking, this pizza's going to be cold. And the guy walks to the door and I appreciated this about it. He just said, dude, I am so sorry. I am so late. And I said, dude, I was just worried about it being cold. And he looked at me and he says, I appreciate that, but I've had a jacket on all night. <laughs> I can't say anything about the pizza after that because the guy thinks I'm worried about him. So it's like, if I say, I'm not worried about you, is my pizza cold? I would have just looked like a jerk. So I was like... <laughs> It's like, oh good, I'm glad you have a jacket on. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, you're just not getting what I was talking about. I think God does that with us. He just speaks, you know, we sing all these, you know, I, I, I was an orphan. And, you know, we sing these songs and all this. And then, but my sins died on the cross with Jesus Christ. And I went in the grave and I came out and I'm changed and it's no longer the same. And we sing all this other stuff. And then we walk around defeated like we have nothing to live for. Like Satan takes that, that your past and just follows you around and just says, wait till you try to do something for God. Wait till you get excited for God. I'll just remind you of what you've done. Why, Mary Magdalene? See, when you got saved, you were forgiven. See, she was possessed. She had a past. But Jesus was going to use the illustration of that moment. You think about this. The Bible talks about hundreds of people that saw Jesus after the resurrection. Hundreds of people. Peter and John were there. They left. Then Jesus waits. The 12 disciples, or the disciples, the 11 disciples, at that point were in the upper room. He doesn't do it there. Thomas and them, the road to Emmaus, all these stories that we read about, all those kind of things. But the first one happened where? At the tomb. 
With who? Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, empty tomb. Mary Magdalene, empty tomb. God literally was like, I could, I could show up at any point in their life. And some of them, when they were running back, he appeared to them. But not her, Mary Magdalene, at the empty tomb. Why? It was a visual. The fact that God came to change everything. When I say change everything, change everything. And so we don't live in the dispensation of the law like they did. We live in the age of grace. Let me, let me throw you back to where Mary's mental thinking was. Everybody's mental thinking during that time. The Old Testament, they went around and had to make sacrifice. If, if they were going to have forgiveness of the sins, if they were going to have covering of their sins, they had to make a sacrifice. Jesus had them erect the tabernacle. Later it was the temple, but it was the tabernacle, and they would carry that everywhere that they went. <clears throat> They would set it up, and then they had this inner spot that was the Holy of Holies. We talk about that all the time. The Shekinah glory of God would shine down in that center, or that part right there at the end of it. The Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God. They would make sacrifice, kill an animal, showing that there was the wages of sin was death, and they would visualize that. Then they would go in, and they would have the table of showbread and all those other things, and then they would go into that curtain and they would step into that place that they really did not deserve to be. It was a, the grace of God that would keep them alive to step into the presence of where God would shine his glory. They would sprinkle the blood of that sacrifice on there. And they would do that once a year. Covering or symbolizing that the sacrifice was made for their sins. Now what was weird is inside that holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was something that they had to carry around with them everywhere that they went. And they would carry it up on their shoulders. And it represented the presence of God and the promises of God and things that they did. But it also represented their past. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was three items that they would carry around with them everywhere that they went. The Ten Commandments, a bowl of manna, and the buttered rod of Aaron. All three of those items represented good that God did, but it also represented bad that man did. For instance, the Ten Commandments, Jesus goes up, or God goes up on the mountain with uh, Moses, and what happens in there? He comes back down, they're over there worshiping a false god that they made. Uh, Moses gets upset, he throws them down, they break right there in the presence, he has to go back up there. The, the Ten Commandments wasn't about man being perfect, it was about proving that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all are sinners. What about the manna? Woo, that was God providing for them. Do you know what they did with the manna? They cried out to God, complaining to God with what they had. They wanted more. They wanted different. And that's when they had the quill that God gave them later. But God provided for them all the way. They had that as a symbol of what God did was good, but also their complaining, their failures. The budded rod of Aaron, they were upset about the Levites being the chosen ones to be closer to God and represent the, 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 the sacrifice and all those things that they did. And they got upset with God about it. God opened up the ground and swallowed them up. And then they turned around. They were still upset about it because they were griping at God for what he was doing. God then showed his power to them because of their complaining and had Aaron's rod bud to where it was just a stick and it began to grow uh, these tree limbs out of it, proving the power of God rested upon those people. All three items in there represented the failures of man. So how did God show his glory in the presence of that, that room there with all their failures? Well, it's because of that lid. That lid was the covering of their failures. 
two angels, one at the foot and one at the head of it, on both ends of it, represented just the, the presence of God and, and what God promised of, of them to do, that the Shekinah of glory could still represent even in their failures. That was a picture of grace all the way in the Old Testament. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But when Jesus sees the blood, when he sees it, he, he passes over. He shows us grace. When Jesus died on the cross, he said it is finished. And the veil of the temple was written in half from top to bottom, signifying there's no longer a separation between them. What is that? It was something that had to be done over and over and over again. I fail, I mess up. Priests have to go in. Okay, here we go. We're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. We're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. We're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. Year after year after year after year. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry. Mary shows up. And meets Jesus for the first time, and she doesn't fully understand what she's saying. She didn't have Romans like we do, where Jesus explains him being that. The Bible says in Romans 3.24, being justified freely by the grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus did what? Whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare the righteousness for the remissions of sins that are what? Past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, the righteousness, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That word propitiation is a word I fear every time I have to say it from the pulpit. It's like, I know I'm going to mess this up. Propitiation is the covering of our sins. God said, I send my son to be the covering of your sins. It is a term that they recognize in the Bible because it was the Ark of the Covenant. That lid was the propitiation. It was the covering. It was, it was the covering of everything that they did bad. And the Bible was demonstrating through this whom God has sent forth to be this for us. Why? To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. They had to go in and put the blood over all their failures and things. Spiritually speaking, this is what Jesus did. Jesus went in and he was the covering. When God looks down at us, he doesn't see your faults and your failures. He doesn't see your past. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that was made for you. He doesn't see me. He doesn't see my past. When God would shine the Shekinah glory in there, it was the covering. Jesus was the covering. So what is that? have to do he says to declare his righteousness over us what does that have to do with mary keep this in mind as we read this have you ever noticed that there's some things in the bible that we read and we say i've read that a thousand times but what does that mean sometimes we need to stop and say why is that in there why did god put that in there what is he saying by that remember john and peter leave and mary turns and's like i want to look again it was setting, Jesus set the whole scene up for this. And Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. What did she see? She goes in and the very 
presence, the very description of what Jesus came to do. He came to be the Ark of the Covenant. He came to be the covering. He came to be the propitiation. He came to be what, what man could not be. Because when Jesus laid down his life, he did for once. But he didn't just lay in the grave. He came out of the grave proving that he conquered our past. He conquered our sin. He didn't just lay down. He got up and he walked out of the grave. Because he was proving for the fact that he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the resurrection. And he is the life that he gives us back after sin kills the very symbol that she sees when she peeks in there was the very representation of the old testament that was her life the angel at the foot the angel at the head you've ever wondered what is this all symbolizing there she turns around and what does she see in the presence of her is jesus christ here's what happens in our life and this is just the truth we don't fully understand that Satan loves to walk around us visualizing like this, a, a piece of paper with everything that you do wrong. I, I, I'm saying your past, and it's, it's all, almost like documented. Like, I'm going to tell you what you've done. I, I, I'm going to tell you about that time you sinned or that time that you ran out or that time that you cheated, that time that you did this. It's almost like documented of our life. And every time you try to get along with God or you're serving God or you're thinking, man, I, I, I want to go all out or I want to surrender to do this or I want to volunteer to do this. And man, I want to give my talents for this. Satan's like, hey, do you know who you are? You're, you're that person that was possessed. You're that person that had all the issues. You're that person. Remember this? You see what Jesus did for us on the cross. According to Colossians 2.14, listen to this. He blotting out the handwritten ordinances that were against us, that were contrary to us, and took it out of the way, doing what? Nailing it to the cross. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but let me put it like this. Jesus fully knows what you've done. He knows your past. He knows your failures. He knows that you've been, just like Mary Magdalene, when he points out and says, man, she was possessed with this. He knows, he knows, he knows. But when you met Jesus, he said, give me that, give me that. And the blood of Jesus Christ blotted out everything that was held against you. And Jesus said, let me just put it like this. You are crucified with Christ. He nailed your past to the cross, covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, blotted out, covered up, never to be seen anymore. Satan constantly is trying to sit there to say, I know what you've done. Well, tell me what I've done. And you go, oh, I can't read it very well. That's because it's blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't throw it in my face. You can't put it in there. And you realize what Jesus did, the resurrection is, Mary, come here. I need you to see something. Come here. You know your your past? You know I said that I'm going to die for your sins? Look inside there. You don't have to keep going back to this anymore. I died once and I died for all. It is finished. I said it is finished. It doesn't have to be done over and over and over again. You don't have to keep seeking forgiveness. You realize that he was the covering. Your sin went in and only Jesus came out. That's what made the difference. And it was almost like Jesus said, I need the tomb in this instance. I need Mary Magdalene to be there because I need to show her. I need to demonstrate to her what I did on the cross once and for all. You know why it's so important that we're baptized? Baptism doesn't wash away your sins. Baptism doesn't, it's, it's, I'm going to be honest, guys. I work for the church. I'm here every day. We pay the city of Columbus for the water that goes in there. It comes out of a water hose. 
It's not holy, it's not anointed, and I'll just take you, I'm going to take it a step further. We actually throw some stuff in there to keep the algae down, okay? So that's the pizzazz that that water has in it. What saved you was the blood of Jesus Christ, not that water. Should you be baptized? Absolutely. You know why? It is a picture to tell everybody, I once was someone else, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. I am changed by Jesus Christ. Sometimes we need that visual to be brought to the tomb and say, look in there. What do you see? For us to be able to go to the baptism, even Colossians 2.12 says this, the same verse that we were just reading, buried with him in baptism, where ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is why we sang songs like this today. Listen to these words. I'm, I'm going to take that. You, you have to have this on your heart and mind. Listen to these words. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. You called my name. Then I ran out of that grave. See, the thing is, a lot of us keep living in the tomb. And Jesus says, you're not there anymore. I've already conquered that. You come out to meet Jesus where he's at, which is a life and a life filled with victory. That's what he gives. That's what he offers. That's what he does. Mary was given this visual by God, but let me close with this. You are fully known by God. You are completely forgiven by God. And here's the third thing. This, is, this takes it to the next level. You hold great value to God. I, I just want to point out to this, and I, and I know I've already reiterated this and just kind of spell it out. Do you understand that in Bible culture that they had variations of people that they respected People that were outcasts. The Samaritan woman, she was an outcast from them. Jesus went to her. The Mary Magdalene, she, she was a woman. They, they weren't listened to as much as the guys were. And I'm not saying that that was right. That was part of their culture. But let me tell you, Jesus came to be countercultural. He came to bust, the, bust down the walls of all the traditions that they built up and saying there's value on people or no value on certain people. He just said, no, I, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He died for everybody. It says verse 13. And he said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith to him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, or she knew it not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, thou have borne him hence. Tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, and she turned herself. He saith unto her, Rabbanon, which is to say, Master. See, no one up until this point had seen Jesus. Jesus, literally, if, if you have big news to share with people, you want to save that for a certain somebody. It's the same thing. If you're, you're going to announce that we're going to have a baby, what do you do? You normally tell your parents or your best friend, or you tell those people that are closest to you. Why? It's a big deal. Jesus saved the announcement for the fact that he did the greatest victory in human history to the one that would be considered the least of these. Do you guys hear me? The one that if you were to say, hey, who is Jesus going to announce to? Well, there's Peter. He's a great leader. And there's John. He loves Jesus. And there's James. And there's all these people. And so and so and so and so. Jesus went to the least of these. 
You say, why is that? I'm not saying that she had more value than anybody else, but I'm telling you that a lot of times in the back of our minds, we value ourselves according to how people view us. That I'm not important or I'm not valued because of the fact is that I know that I've messed up or I know that I have this sin or I know that I have this past in my life. Have you ever thought of the value that you have to God? Let me give you an illustration. How many of you guys know what a Van Gogh painting is? Raise your hand right now. Okay, I'm going to show you one right now. Are you guys ready to be oohed and awed with just master talent? Here it is. Ooh. I, I would not want that in my house, okay? I'm not trying to be mean against Mr. Goh, but I'm just saying I, I, would not, I would not want that in my house. I would, I, do you know how much that painting sold for? $75 million. To be honest, if I was at a yard sale, I would not give you 75 cents for that. Just not being mean. You see, the value of something is what somebody's willing to pay for it. That's the value of something. Now, the person that paid $75 million for that, they looked at it and says, I see something worth $75 million. When Jesus saw you, he said, I see something worth giving my life for. You say, I don't have that much value. I'm not worth that. I'm not as good as so-and-so. You go in the church and we start putting people into compartments or that's the pastor or that's the pastor's wife or those are the church leaders or they're the ones that have been here for a long time. And Jesus, do you understand? I don't care who you are in this church. I don't care what your past is in this church. You were worth dying for. There's a thief on the cross on his left and a thief on the right. The first person to encounter the salvation of the cross was a thief on the cross. People live their whole lives. Like, I messed up. I messed up. I, I, I have a past. Jesus, will you come here? I, want, I need you to look in the tomb. I paid for your past. I was the covering. I was the sacrifice. And when Jesus Christ came out of the tomb, literally meaning he's the living sacrifice. He's the living lamb of God. You don't have to keep going back. You don't have to keep begging for God to forgive your past. He's already done it. We love to teach Sunday school stories. You know who we talk about? The heroes of the faith. You know what I'm talking about? Heroes of the faith. Noah. Oh, man, Noah. (laughs) Built an ark. Saved Saved the nation. Saved the people. Saved all the animals. Saved his family. Noah grew a vineyard. Made wine got drunk, got naked. You won't find that part of the story in your flannel graph on Sunday morning. And then cussed out his grandson. David was on a rooftop, sees a woman bathing, calls for her, has an affair with her, and then has her husband killed. Abraham didn't want to wait on God and he ends up sleeping with his servant in order to have a baby, then gets mad and then chases her out of the house. Peter denies Jesus three times. We're, what are we talking about? Oh, that's right, heroes of the faith, correct? Are we talking about heroes of the faith? You see, it's amazing how we love to talk about Abraham and we talk about all these people of that, of the heroes of their faith. And you say, why don't we mention all that? Because they are forgiven. You hold great value to God, not because of what you've done, but because of what he has done for you. You are forgiven by God. So to live your life full of guilt 
and regret all the time. And I'm not saying, man, there's things that I wish that I wouldn't have done. But we have to remind Satan that my sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. And when people come up to you and they throw your past in your face, you remind them that Jesus has already covered it on the cross and their opinion doesn't count. You've been changed. And I say that to bring it to this close of the service right now because I know there are people that are struggling with this. You might be Mary Magdalene, like I'm the least of these. I have all these, I'll just be in the shadows. I'm no count. I'm not a big deal. Peter, you go on. James, you go on. I'm just, I'm that girl that was possessed. Jesus goes to her first and shows her the victory and changes her life. And by the way, after that, she's not referenced as the girl that was possessed. Remember that God has come to change you from guilt to grace. Grace.